everything I've made, I tend to think has something to do with grief. And it's just been this subject that's sort of been a part of my work and, and also a part of my identity for a long time. My dad was sick for a lot of growing up. And so it was just these, all of my formative years were kind of spent preparing for his death and then then him dying and and kind of and it's kind of right at the moment when I was figuring out who I was and so so much of my um everything I do is kind of had to do with grief both my own and then you know figuring out understanding my mom through her Mm -hmm. grief and my sister through her grief and and so I just I wanted at some point to just sort of tackle the subject head on and and I began writing these songs at the beginning of 2017 and it just felt I was like right this is the time what does that mean that a lot of your work has been about grief like how has it manifested itself um well it's you know I feel like it's it's this other side of the coin from love and so most art has to do with love in some way and I think any person that has felt deep love for another person all of a sudden you kind of have this death takes on this new form and and so I felt like all of my love songs are kind of grief songs and all of my grieving songs are also love songs. There's a line in my last record that uh, called em- the song called Empire Builder and and in it I said that you wondered why my love songs were always the grieving kind. And it just it's part of my personality, but I think so much of my understanding in the world was was formed in loss and and to have that kind of big event. I mean, I suppose right you know, at the same time, I was 14 when my dad died, but a few months before he died, a really close friend um, was killed in a car accident. And so I kind of at that stage in my life was like, oh, I guess this is this is what this life is, is life. life. Yeah. It's, life is really hard. And then and then I really had no really big loss like those two for the rest of my life until I'm starting to have a lot of my friends' parents have mm. been getting sick. I'm just at that age where a lot of yeah. people are both losing people and then having kids. There's this creation happening at yeah. the same time. The, the and circle it's, of life. Yeah, <laughs> and it, that just feels like the conversations I have right now in my life are either about loss or about what it means to create life and, and have kids and should you have kids in this day and age. And The way in which grief manifests in the in a love song, is it just sort of the, now that there's someone important in your life, there's the expectation or at least the knowledge that they won't be around forever? Yeah, and just the fear, like you... You have a sense your understanding of loss is is all mm. of a sudden appears out of nowhere. <laughs> well, you have something to lose. The, yeah, state, the stakes are the finally stakes, there. Yeah, and then the stakes. Yeah, the stakes become high, and it can happen so quickly. You know, when you fall in love, or when mm. you you know you hear people talk about it all the time when they have kids, and you know, there's always this other side to that sort of joy that's yeah. that's present and and I find that really interesting and and hard and and I think as someone who had a you know had a loss pretty early on I, I I'm always kind of something that was known to me very early and it and I've kind of carried it into my friendships and into my relationship and I wanted to sort of explore that what does that mean to be a person that carries loss into friendships and and relationships and family relationships just in terms of it being like existing baggage not necessarily I mean baggage for sure but but also you know it's I don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing yeah. to understand loss early on I mean it is obviously a painful thing but I don't know if that's something I I think 
is bad to carry into relationships with that sort of recognition. Sure, but does it, whether it's loss in the form of, I guess, all of our eventual death yeah. or or just the end of re- the relationship, do you feel like being sort of very cognizant of that early on makes you tend towards pessimism? I don't think so. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm really not a pessimistic person. For some of, so you, I don't, for some of I, you, all of her love songs are about grief. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't think of myself as a yeah. pessimist at all. My mind has, has some real dark currents, but I also tend to think of myself as fairly hopeful and perhaps to a fault. I think I've reckoned with that. The sort of hope I have for people and humanity, I've really reckoned with a lot in the last year and a half just at the state of the country and just kind of every day watching greed distort the minds of of powerful people and but I do think of myself as a pretty hopeful person and I don't think that that is ever counter to to being someone that's also pretty aware of loss and it doesn't show up as like self-sabotage I mean I don't I hope not (laughs) I don't think so so. yeah part of why you've been thinking about kids is because of the kind of very fucked up state of the world? Yeah, I mean that and I'm at an age in I'm in my late thirties and, and it's an age where people are either ask you like super personal questions about having if you don't have kids or they treat you like you have some sort of cancer and they don't bring it bring it yeah. up. Like there's this just this weird judgment for not wanting to have kids. Yeah, and it's it's pretty it can be pretty fraught with shame where there really shouldn't be any shame and i've made this conscious choice about a year ago to feel open and without shame when i speak about the decision to have kids um, because i think there's just so much expectation and and shame placed on women and so as i've been trying and there's you know my i have a partner that's also involved in this decision so i'm not going to go too deep into it but it but it is kind of a thing it's what i've had a lot of conversations about in, in the last few years and certainly the the fucked up <laughs> world that we live in plays into that quite a bit and 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 so do so many other so many a lot of other things also play into that right i suspect your career must as yeah well. yeah so it's a really tricky thing to uh to be an artist and and you know i it's funny because i heard someone else another a writer say this and i can't remember who it was but she she was saying she wasn't afraid of being a bad mother as much as she was afraid of being such a good mother that she would that she would abandon all these other ambitions yeah. that she had and if it's the thing that brings you joy there's nothing wrong yeah yeah so it's i mean i'm still really honestly in the throes of that decision and and i'm just been trying to sort of let my work be about that partially because it's it's a it's a fairly new decision for women to have there aren't stacks of books dedicated to the question of having kids because it just wasn't a question until Mm. not that long ago and there's not you know the whole canon of philosophy there's so much about death but there's very little about what it means to create life and so I feel like you know it's both very fraught question and very charged question in my own life but it's also I think just deeply fascinating Mm -hmm. question and a deeply fascinating discussion to have and what does it mean to to make a life what does it mean to not make a life what does it mean to be a woman that that doesn't have kids and 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 what does it mean when you have what does it mean to nurture when you're when you don't have kids and and how does that show up in your life or is it easy to just lead a fulfilling life with, yeah, without that yeah. like how, how essential it, is that to the human experience yeah and and also I, I think there's so you know in so much of what's presented in like so many of the stories about women that are presented in in movies and books 
and especially when they're dealing with the question of kids, it's the way that those those stories show that the woman has evolved is that they have a kid, kid at the end. And I, I don't mm. I, I like wholeheartedly disagree with the notion that a woman's only way of evolving is, yeah. is to become a mother. And and so I'm just right now, both personally, but also just intellectually so fascinated with that question and, and what it means. And it and it feels like a, a sort of new question. And I have had once I felt I made a choice to just be open and kind of live in that question with friends very openly, I've had some of the best conversations of my life because I think it's just charged in a certain in a certain way. Everybody has yeah. feelings about it. Or it's things that for whatever reason they didn't feel comfortable speaking about yeah, openly until yeah. you prompted the conversation. Yeah. So I've thought so much about that and that definitely plays into the record in thinking about having kids myself and whether I do or don't. And I should say I've been a, a stepmom for a really long time. Um, and so I, in much of my 20s, I was like the one person or my boyfriend and I were the people with the kid at the, at the party. And then yeah. and then now I'm I'm in my late 30s and, and we're like the people without the kids, <laughs> a kid at the party. And she's gone on and is in college. And so that's, that's also something I think about quite a bit. Yeah. So I, I think in thinking about what it means to make life and in thinking about kids, um, it's it has made me think of those early losses and how um and especially the loss of my dad i think when people have kids they sort of reexamine their parents in a way and i think there's a sort of similar shadow process and that happens when people don't have kids there's a different sort of reckoning with what it means and what your connection with your parents is and it's made me think a lot about my dad and and what it meant to to lose my dad and i think those are these kind of two points on the map and the territory, the kids question and then the loss question and the places they overlap and the, sort of the territory in between is is just felt like the territory of this project. I suspect that part of it too, not just being a creative, but being a musician, there is an expectation that you're going to do the bulk of your important work when you're younger, right? When you're sort of in your 20s, that's when you're kind of expected to really get out there and, and hit the road. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I don't think that's, I and mean, I think I'm making my best work yeah. now. But just as far as like as establishing yeah. yourself as an artist. Yeah, and it kind of, I mean, I do kind of get this sense. And I'm really lucky to work with people that have never, like I think, my labels and my management are as hopeful about my career <laughs> at this point as they were yeah. as they were when I was 26 and got you know started to get some attention and and so I feel very fortunate and I've always kind of thought I went in like when I first met sat down and met with my manager who's been my manager my whole career um I was like well I really I really want to peak when I'm like 75 <laughs> years old and he always I just want a slow burn that. yeah, yeah. And, and I I think that I think that model can still work, but there is an expectation that, I mean, I still feel like there's an expectation that I have work really hard you know, and, and really get out there and tour every record as much. I certainly don't have that sort of stamina. And I also just have other projects I'm interested in. Yeah. You went back to school. I did. Yeah. For creative writing. So I'm kind of very slowly working on some longer fiction stuff that will late 2020s. I said, look out for it in, in 2028. <laughs> Did that derail things at all for you? I don't know if I had rails to <laughs> to fall <laughs> off of. Songwriting was this thing that I, I just had no idea that it would ever be a career, and it was this thing I did on the side. And, and every step, it seemed appealing, and and the next step seemed like a 
reasonable step to take and until all of a sudden I was like, oh, I guess this is what I do. And, and a few years ago, I decided to go back to grad school, partly because I just knew there were other parts of myself that I hadn't gotten to express and I just needed a change. And I really love books so much and and wanted to work on on writing fiction. And so I kind of needed to force my hand um, in grad school as a, as a way to do that. And, and I also felt at the time I needed a sort of like some sort of disruption in my life. And grad school is like a pretty healthy <laughs> version of disrupting your life. Is there a similar impulse to the one as, as far as like having children that I need to do this now? Like if I don't if I don't do this now, With if I don't pull the school? Yeah, or if I don't pull yeah. the trigger on sort of starting this other it career. Definitely felt, I definitely felt like when it thought about it for a couple years and then I just sort of went for it. Like I hadn't right. r- written much fiction and I wrote an application, applied to my dream school, got in, made this move across the country and then um, – and it was so, you know, it was a big making music for a living is like one of the most absurd ideas to actually pursue. And and so, you know, I'm already so far out in the paddock that <laughs> that, that to choose something else that's also absurdly challenging. And, and Writing novels and is somehow like next level as far as just being It is. Compl- it's much completely. longer commitment yeah. for sure. And um, it's a lot more of the solo time. <laughs> so it's my, I think it's way harder, <laughs> but you know, you mentioned going off the rails, but it, I mean, I, you kind of are starting off the rails to begin with. And so it's not that much of a stretch to be like, well, what if this, or what if I used my brain in this way? Or what if I took these things that I understand about words and musicality and tried to like experiment in this other form really worked few, few jobs other than <laughs> playing music. So in some ways those sort of stretches aren't, aren't as scary but it it did feel really scary just moving moving across to do grad school and it felt risky in a way but but now it just feels i can't i can't imagine not having done that it just it kind of i think i needed to have a new direction and a new choice and i've made two records since i did yeah. that so it's it hasn't hasn't really hurt music at all did you start writing around the time that you you lost your father and your friend I mean, I, did take a creative writing class in my freshman year of high school, which was really significant for me. But then I, then I never really went back. I was a science person. I studied pre-med in college and um, just didn't have a lot of time for writing and also just didn't think I was it was my thing. I grew up in a really small rural school and, and my English teachers were like, uh, I had a really fantastic science and math teachers. And so I was like, well, clearly this is the, the way to go. Yeah. And and so I just continued on science and math and through college. And then songwriting was really my way into writing. And then I sort of wanted to keep going a, a outside of songs. In those early stages, how direct it was for most sort of catharsis or, or therapy for you? Oh, yeah. I don't think I knew that that was possible for yeah. writing. Like I don't – I think – and maybe it was in a little bit, but um, I didn't start playing music until college. So it, it was really just this like one creative writing class and like some journaling that I did at that age. But um, I don't think I had the mind and the emotional the, – the emotional stability at that point to really yeah. see it as a way of – I didn't know how to – how to seek catharsis I guess I was just like sort of in it surviving and being you know when you're 14 you can be experiencing this great loss but you're still just like what does the world think of me you know yeah, so sure. like your outlook is just sure. going to be like that a lot of like my real processing came 
in college and when I started writing songs. So it was kind of a delayed, not that I didn't process in, in my own teenage way, but it just, you're so outward looking and inward, mm-hmm. like thinking of the world looking at you yeah. at that age, that grief just looks really different. Did you consider yourself to be a creative person prior to that? Not really. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. Not until, I mean, even even in college when I started writing songs, it was, I mean, I, looking back, I was so clearly this like art weirdo, <laughs> but I <laughs> but I really didn't know that was an option. I just came from a very small rural yeah. town, very kind of good old boys attitude and culture. and Like some Duck Dynasty folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think I really like kind of any sort of artist- creative way about me I, I really either kept hidden or yeah. um, or didn't really know it was an option to be that kind of person I didn't have really the models in front of me at that point not until later did you start discovering poetry and songwriting as a pre-med yeah I started reading poetry a bit in college and I actually went I like went to church in college and it strangely like, I, you know, I came to this point that I later on that I, I really just could not believe the things that I needed to believe in order to, to call myself a Christian. But it, I, it's hard to reconcile. A it lot just, of that. I couldn't yeah. I couldn't reconcile it. But I um, but something about I think that was sort of my and it's not something I, I've really articulated that much before. But I think that was really my way into thinking of the world is, is deeper, I think. That sort of like college church group was pretty attractive to me to think in that way. And I feel like that was in some ways like my way into being an artist. A little counterintuitive. Yeah, but I, but it's not. I mean, it's it's the same. Spirituality versus religion maybe. Or... Yeah, and I think I just longed to like sit in those sort of questions that unless you're an artist, it's college kids don't. Unless you're an artist or in like some sort of church group, college kids don't just like sit in those questions in a real way. And and so that felt really attractive to me. And just I wanted to like think about the meaning of life questions. And that was a place that I could do it. And so I do feel like that was sort of a, a way towards being an artist and a writer, being with these church group college kids and talking about what does it mean to try to be good was it what does it mean to make mistakes or have regret and there's certainly like so many things that are super fucked up about <laughs> like if you take some of the that doctrine to its logical end like clearly there is a lot going on right now that it that it's people you know just clinging so tightly to not even ideas but just rules or dogma dogma yeah and and so but it's it's a tricky things at the same time there's dwelling and world faiths tend to dwell in like really interesting questions and really important good questions i think what the breakdown is and, and it's interesting to hear you articulate it that way is i think most people enter into religion looking for answers and you are in search of questions yeah i mean i actually have a number of friends who are people that once went like <laughs> went to church when they were young yeah. and then were like oh i can't and so i do I'm I'm actually really thankful for that beginning place and and there's all sorts of, you know, the path out of that wasn't easy or com- you know coming to terms and that sort of reckoning mm. with with what I believe versus these people that that I really loved and respected and I could not 
believe the same things they they believed. That's a pretty significant uh, experience in my life in my like early twenties. Were you religious, or did did you up to a certain point really sort of believe the dogma and believe in in God in that way? Yeah, I don't really know to be honest. I mean, I think I just like I really fell in love with the questions and that sort of like searching that that I'm so thankful that I continued to like live in and with with songwriting and writing and that I don't know if I ever really believed it or not. Does losing those people at that early stage in your life call into question those beliefs? To have that kind of loss, that that's often the kind of thing that makes people question a, like a belief in God. I think I had experienced such significant life-shaking things by the time I got to to college that I just was really looking for other people that I could talk about significant life-shaking things and I didn't really meet that many songwriters and then I kind of continued on just like writing songs on my own and then later met people in Portland when I started playing shows like kind of I made all these new friends at once. I kind of transitioned out of that phase right around the same time I, I made a lot of of musical friends and people and I'm like, oh, there's other people in the world dwelling in these deep questions. Like I can hang with them. It makes a little more And they're actually making art from it. Sense. Yeah. And they're showing I, I really cared about, you know, being generous in the world and I avoided music a little bit when I first after college because I I had this idea. I worked at a coffee shop for a couple of years and there were these girls that were like I just knew nothing. I never was a big music consumer and just pretty out of the loop on what was cool and and I had this idea that there's all these cool bands in Portland it's just like not for me like I'm just rather go read my book and I was really mistaken because as soon as I met people that are still my friends now that were making music and playing shows I just met the most wonderful generous kind thoughtful people and that kind of became my my church you yeah. know in a, in a way and i believe in in art as a way of of looking at ourselves and questioning our behaviors and and beliefs and that keep, keeps me at it whatever you know whether i get much recognition or not for my work i feel like kind of digging at the truth of the human experience is like it's a worthwhile endeavor i, I have no doubt about that it's a phenomenon that we talk about a lot on the show is sort of finding your group of weirdos and i suspect that that's amplified a lot when you come from a small town and it seems like there's just nobody around that's quite like you yeah yeah or or maybe there are but you just don't yeah you're both like hiding your weirdness <laughs> and you're like doing the best you can to cover up the fact that you're just like this dark weirdo and it sounds like you you tend toward introversion or at least sort of like solitude to some degree and that oh, makes yeah. it even more difficult to meet those people yeah i mean i'm i I'm, I think I'm, I'm like an outgoing introvert. Like I love talking yeah. to people and talking to strangers, and but I'm very delighted by solitude. You're the third interview in a row this has come up with for me, which is really interesting. Well, cer- certainly it's a quality for very introspective and, and thoughtful musicians, but it's surprising how common it is with musicians, with people whose job it is to sort of stand up on stage and perform in front of mm-hmm. people. That's part of my job to some degree, too, is mm-hmm. standing up. Somebody spelled it out to me, I think, in a, in a good way last week. You do have that ability. You can go out and you can talk to people, but then it sort of saps you of your energy. Yeah. I think a lot of introverts are just, you just have, at the same time as being quiet and in your head a lot, you're also like, I think you end up 
kind of reaching out to people and being outgoing, if yeah. that's the right word, for just because you're just like, oh, I'm just too curious not yeah. to like ask these yeah. questions. You've looked for the answers inside yourself, yeah, realized they're so, not all there. I've looked at every corner, now, yeah. corner of my <laughs> mind, scoured. and I need to go out there and gather information <laughs> about the world. I think there's like a sort of curious type that tends to be both delight and solitude and is also thirsty for understanding. You know, there's so many people out there trying to get successful music careers. How does one almost sort of stumble into one? Yeah. Well, this the thing I tell people so often is to just always just think about the work and think about your work and make the thing. Like I'm always, any young people, yeah. I'm always like, just make, make the thing, yeah. make the thing. And I think there is something to be said for someone that wasn't really out to do anything other than make the thing. I avoided a lot of distraction. It's so easy to get distracted when you're making music about what, you know, I should be doing this or I should like be going to this. Like how it's going or, to live in the world? Yeah, how, yeah exactly. Um, or who um, should I be standing next to in the world? All these things that are really not questions mm -hmm. to ask, but, thing, you know, you just kind of find yourself standing in a certain way next to certain people and you but um but I think that that sort of focus on making something and that sort of drive to like oh it's not there that yet it's not there yet those those words aren't quite there yet I'm always pointing people back that way and if um and I think my big intention was to make a record and to record a record and then that kind of did well and it's like oh, okay, Nick, and, and like project. I'm such a project to project person, mm. and I think that's actually pretty helpful in a music career because you you keep focusing on the things you're making. You're less and try not to get distracted by all the other things. I think being just sort of like intimidated by what I thought was like too cool for me <laughs> was was probably helpful, and in, in like that sort of. It, um, it, it, hibernation it, that yeah. I needed, that I really needed to do to kind of become a good songwriter. Um, it compelled you to be yourself. Yeah. And so I don't, I, now I'm, I just like know that I want to make stuff in the world for the rest of my life if mm. I can. And, and so that sort of distraction with all the exterior things is something that in one sense never goes away, but it, but it also, I think of as a thing you really like kind of reckon with when you're starting out a little bit, how to, all the ways you can be yeah. <laughs> in the world or look like in the world or place yourself. And um, you're, I mean, you're looking for your voice. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I guess back, back to how to make a career and that's so unlikely. I think just always fortunate misunderstanding and constitution to just really hid away and, and made a record. And then that taught me how to hide away and make a thing, which I kind of repeated that hiding hiding a way to make a thing a, a few times. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the impression reading an interview with you that maybe not every record, but there have definitely been records that you've put out into the world that felt like that was it. That felt like you weren't going to make another one. I often feel like that, like yeah. every time. <laughs> maybe I It's not, like and that. that's like surprisingly not uncommon. I talk yeah. to a lot of artists who have that, who like put it out and are just like, all right, I think, I'm, I, I don't know if it's I said everything thing. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, or just like, I don't need to go through that again. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, both but i i like that feeling of just being um i remember like finishing my first record and being like well i can die now and it's okay <laughs> like there's this sense of of real i put the puzzle together that i was working on and what do you do now you know it's so hard to even know what the next puzzle is when you've just completed a puzzle but but that's 
that's a good feeling because like, I, I mean, that's I a mean, double-edged sword, right? That yeah. could be kind of depressing. I don't know if it's depressing because you're just like, well, I did a thing. Yeah. <laughs> like that's like, what else can you do but finish work and good work and feel good about it? I think that that's a good, that's a sign of making something good. Maybe when you're just like, sure. I don't know what to say about that. You know, you sure. will find other things to say. Yeah. And that's like, can be a terrifying feeling. And, and usually, you know, the way that record cycles work by the time, when the time comes to make another thing, I'm just so sick of touring. Like th- th- you just gather mm-hmm. up all this and I've just spent all this time gathering fuel for the next thing. And then it takes, it takes some time. But I just, I always like think of this metaphor when you are working on a project or at least myself. And I'm really thankful that every project has felt, every record has felt like this, but it's, you feel like you're like building a raft to to save yourself <laughs> and and I thought when I finished this last record I worked so hard on it and spent so much time just thinking about words and thinking about meanings and how they fit together and in a way that there's no way any listener is <laughs> going to like care about the ins and outs of each word in the way that making it I cared about each word and and so I when I finished it I I made this real effort to to feel that sort of satisfaction of I just built a raft <laughs> to save myself and and you kind of know like that's just the best feeling and you know that to continue on this metaphor that soon you'll be out in the water and then you'll be like ah oh, but that guy's got a yacht and that <laughs> person's boat is so much more well crafted and there's this other it will mean something totally different six months from when you finish it and it's such a good feeling to feel like to feel that sort of wholehearted devotion and the sense that like I'm making this is the best way I can describe it is that feeling I'm making a thing that's I'm saving myself by making this thing and that feels sounds really dramatic but in in some ways that feels really true to the feeling of making something saving yourself from what and I I don't know (laughs) obscurity yeah no I'm not I did it's very little thought of of what it means in the world I think it's more of a sense of meaning and it's more the meaning making side than the attention making side i think i'm when i'm working on a project i I tend that what will it be in the world what will people think of it i try to push that off as far as i can does the math on that change or do you expect the math to change when you're honestly able to say that this is the record you've been wanting to make forever or this is in 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 a way the record you've been working up toward when you sort of talk about self-fulfillment or something or you know just being kind of completely satisfied and saying you have said all you feel that you need to say when this is like the record do you think that's going to to change as far as like kind of getting back in the saddle in a year or two no i hope i feel that way about everything that i've that i ever make that this is like this is the thing this is the thing you know does it feel more so than before it's hard to tell because i've just like i've grown so much in the last few years and Making this record felt really different than making the last record. It's funny because you talk about these like sort of grieving songs, but I was so happy when I was making this record. Mm. Um, And it was such a like shitty time in the world. It felt so good to be working on something true. And and I I just, you know, I'm at my best when I'm making a thing. (laughs) And it felt really good for the most part definitely have some like head against the wall moments too when you google your name when you do some research (laughs) you find out that you were the inspiration for the tiny desk concerts 
Oh, yeah. It sounds that part of that comes from the fact that you are a quiet singer, that, you know, maybe it's hard for you to perform in front of a rowdy audience. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a part of me that also like likes a challenge yeah. and will like take on that rowdy audience and try to tame them. <laughs> but it often there's just no hope yeah. and it won't work. But it was nice because at that, at that point, it was my first record. I had, we didn't have I didn't have a publicist on that record or anything, but it had gotten attention from a few people. And and I played this really terrible show at South by Southwest where they didn't ask for people's badges at the door. They just kind of let everybody, the bar just let like drunken in. Austinites in. And it was, yeah, and so it was just crazy room full of chatter. And I think probably people passing by were like, well, there's a bar we can talk in. And it's it had always felt like this disadvantage, not a disadvantage, but um, or maybe disadvantage to be so quiet. And, and I just was constantly up until that point kind of feeling frustrated by being so quiet in a, in a world that doesn't really like to be quiet. And so it was just this very sweet affirmation to have the, that become the Tiny Desk Concert Series, um, that they saw that and yeah. wanted to um, to think about a way to, to remedy or at least capture quiet music. So it was a very a, a really sweet thing. <laughs> but in the moment, it was very, very terrible yeah. <laughs> experience of playing that show. And I got off the stage and I just felt like I was I saw Bob and Steven from NPR in the audience and I was can't cry, Gibson. Like <laughs> giving myself a pep talk because I was so I like that you're for your not only yourself not only in the third person, but by your last name like a football player. Like, I know. That was like the coach part of my brain was like <laughs> buck up yeah. and talk to the important music people. <laughs> in the earliest stages when you first started writing music, was it difficult to perform? Uh yeah. I mean it took me I played some I started really with like house shows and DIY kind mm -hmm. of spaces. So it was a it was much easier and I really I was so shy and I would my voice was so shaky those first <laughs> first shows and then um and then I started playing more in Portland when I made that first record and um actually the first kind of big tour which happened actually the tour I was on when I stopped to do that first tiny desk concert was um the Colin Malloy of the Decembers did mm. ask me to open a tour and so I went from playing these like tiny little DIY shows to playing for a thousand people and I and I and that was so hard for me the first I just I remember talking to Colin about it and like I just I'm setting myself up for failure you know and he was like no you're you're doing great just keep keep doing it. and by the end of that tour it was yeah. like 30 shows by the end of the tour I just felt like I came back this like confident performer this is a baptism by fire right? it really was yeah and the first I remember um and that show that tour was really transformative for me and in a bunch of ways but um one of them was just I was just felt like this awkward, yeah. shy person at the beginning, um, not knowing what to do with all these people in the room to by the end, just really getting excited about winning over the audience. And um, I'm, so I'm really thankful for that, that tour. Did you try a different vocal approach? Did you try did you go to a coach or did you try to find a way to project more? Yeah, I don't I don't think my voice sounds that good when it's projecting. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think there's like an there's like real limitations of my anatomy. And I don't want to give too much credit to trolls, but I did see you mention the uh, the phrase mouse lungs, which is pretty both a sick burn and also pretty adorable <laughs> at the same time. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so kudos to that online monster who came yeah. up with that. Mouse lungs. 
It's really good. It's a very adorable burn. <laughs> I yeah, I think that part of it's just I'm doing the best I can with with what I've got. Sure. Um I did I went to vocal lessons a few times, but also just to have, you know, I'd love, you know, I like to have more instrument, I mean more like tools in my tool sure. belt. Um I did a record actually what really I think grew my voice quite a bit. I did a, a this collaborative sort of experiment of a record with my friend Ethan Rose who's a sound artist um and he does a lot of sort of sound installation work mm. um and we I would just sing for 20 minutes straight off the top of my head over a drone and then he would take what I sang and kind of piece it together and and that because I just sort of I wasn't confined to the limits of song really just pure stream my voice. of consciousness yeah and, and, I, and I really like got kind of out there with my voice and I think that showed up in in the neck you know the the records after that and so I feel like my, my my voice is still growing I think um which is a nice nice thing to um to realize but I'll never be able there's just no way I could like you're not gonna be Aretha Franklin broad, yeah or, or like be a yeah. Broadway singer yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's just not gonna work <laughs> but um but I found a way I like to sing and I've kind of still feel like I'm exploring the the bounds of what my voice can do. Is it harder to go out there when you're singing something that is really d- deeply personal? I mean, I, I don't know what else to compare. Like every, yeah. everything I've written has been felt. It does sound like this latest batch of songs is even deeper. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I mean, it is in a way. And then my last record was really personal too. It was, I'd gone through a pretty big... Um, traumatic event and and also had moved across the country and so there are ways that that record was almost like equally mm. as personal and there's still both these records actually there's um songs that like i thought i wonder how i'll ever play the song without crying and then of course you do and unless you're cat power i mean <laughs> yeah I, you <laughs> know it just <laughs> it's a really wonderful feeling to play older songs and still feel moved by them as I'm singing them because it comes from such a true place even though maybe I'm not in the same place or not facing the same challenges or or I've matured beyond what the feelings I was trying to wrangle in in those earlier songs but to just feel really moved by them is, is a really nice nice thing to experience but I don't I mean I think I've just and maybe I've gotten I mean everything I've done has felt really personal in a way but I think the last this record and the the last record felt like it felt a little scarier to go out there and this record also feels I mean it's really personal in a way but also like a lot of the songs on this record are kind of fable-y songs and allegorical and yeah or just sort of like I read a lot of magical realism mm-hmm. and and thing and so there there are ways that they are really deeply personal but um but I'm also telling a lot of stories at the same time the more I share personal things and, and the thing that I can offer is to, to be vulnerable and to model being vulnerable. It's sort of what I feel like I have to offer in the world. And so I, that's what I'll just keep doing. It's, it's hard, but it's also the best way of being in the world that I've found. 
There you go. That was Laura Gibson. She's got a new record out now called Goners. Highly recommend it. Just put it on my best of the year list over on Spotify. Thanks so much to her. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. If you have any feedback, it's rwellcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rwellcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to go for RIYL-related information. And that's about it for now. We're going to be back in a few days with another episode. In the meantime, have a very happy holidays.